The Great Tribulation, part two of this message. We've got part two today, part three next week, as I said. And let's review um, from last week, just some, some points that we went over last week. Um, I think we've got, there were two sections, two major sections to the portion of scripture we read last week. And they got him up there for the, the destruction of the temple and the fact Jesus predicted it, which was an astounding prophecy at that time. If you remember, we used the analogy last week of trying to imagine someone prior to the Titanic sailing, someone saying, the Titanic will sink the first time it sets out in the ocean. People would have been, yeah, right. Because they said even God couldn't sink that ship. Also, the Twin Towers in New York in 9-11. Imagine days before, weeks before, years before that ever happened, someone said, you know what? On September the 11th, 2001, that Titan, or that, that, those Twin Towers are going to come down. They will be utterly destroyed. They would have been laughed at. Probably front page of many newspapers saying, this fool predicts this economic center of the world, the Twin Towers, to come down. Well, it happened. So when Jesus said the, the temple will be destroyed, they really didn't quite grasp it. But the disciples asked, okay. They knew that Jesus always told the truth. So they said, what other signs can we be ready for? And that's what we went over last week. Um, let's see. Before we do that, let me just go over some of these signs. The disciples asked Jesus when. They wanted to know when. They were very interested in the timing of that because they thought Jesus was going to take over kingship right then and there. They wanted a political Messiah. And most of the Jews were looking for a political Messiah. And what does Isaiah say, though? Isaiah 9, the government will be on his shoulders. Well, they didn't understand the timing. They understood the prophecy, but not the timing and the fulfillment of that prophecy. So they wanted to know when. Also, they wanted to know what. What would be the signs? Uh, the first thing Jesus said, he said, make sure you are not deceived. And that is a warning we can take to heart. And we need to with all the cults, the false religions, the false gods, false teachings, and everything that we're seeing in America and around the world, we need to be, know the word of God so well that we will recognize a counterfeit like that and not be deceived. Now, he mentioned that three times in this chapter, in this sermon that Jesus gave on the Mount of Olives. Three times. And you know, Jesus does not, uh, he's not redundant unless he wants to drive something home. Don't be deceived. Also, the utter destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, that was not a sign in 70 AD. That was a judgment on the people of Israel for rejecting the Messiah. Understand that because in Matthew 24, remember we started off last week, he's saying, he was talking about the destruction of the temple. That was done, okay? Then the disciples said, well, tell us, when will these signs be? When? So he already said that was going to happen, and then they asked for signs. So the destruction of the temple was not a sign, per se, of the end times, but it happened because of judgment. Next, persecution, and we're seeing it ramped up more and more, persecution reveals traitors within the church as well as enemies outside the church. Sometimes those who were not truly saved or converted they were never of the fold, so to speak. They will betray believers, and that's what he warned about as well. Um, and persecution will be a test for some. But the test of any age is 
endurance. Those, what we, we read, uh, we ended up last week on part one, those who endure to the end will be saved. And finally, in verse 14 that we read last week, the gospel must first be preached as a witness to the nations, then comes the end. So first, in there are many, many views of the rapture when the Jesus, the signs that Jesus will return and everything. So there are different views on when that will happen. Um, we hold to the pre-tribulation view of the rapture, but we would encourage you not to break fellowship with those who have other beliefs in this. This is not a salvation essential, all right? We need to unify, and we, have di we need to respectfully disagree with those who have different views, okay? Because God is right, and the rest of us, we're, we're trying to get it right from the word, what we can discern from the truth. So this... The word rapture is not in scripture, but it really means to be caught up. Caught up. So the believers will be caught up to uh, Christ. The timeline, some of us believe, in fact, uh, I'll go to that in a second. Let me go to that right now. Here's the timeline. Um, the catching up of the saints, so to speak. M many of us believe it has the rapture occurring prior to what we are going to read about right now in the midsection of Matthew 24. So here's a quick reminder of the good news, okay? It clearly shows the first coming of Christ. Now, where the cross is at the very beginning. Now, that wasn't when he was born in Bethlehem. The first coming of Christ prophesied by Daniel and others, but Daniel prophesied it to the specific exact day. What day was that? The coming of the Messiah to Jerusalem? When he came in on what we know as Palm Sunday, riding on a donkey through that eastern gate, from the Mount of Olives, through the Kidron Valley, through the Eastern Gate, on a donkey, where, we, where he accepted praise for the first time, where he was publicly worshipped, and he said, if they don't worship me, the rocks will cry out. That was the first coming of the Messiah. Then, the church age is what we, what we are in now. What's the next event, according to this biblical timeline? The rapture, which we're going to read some scriptures on that in a second, meaning it could happen at any time. That's an encouragement for us how we live our lives today and being salt and light in this culture, country, and world. Also, after that, the Great Tribulation, which is what we are going to study today. It's amazing and fascinating that we know it's going to be seven years. We know so much from Scripture, from Daniel, from Ezekiel, from Revelation, from Zechariah, from other prophets, and from the New Testament, what Jesus says today it's astounding how much information we know, and yet this day and age, we, the church, we're the most biblically illiterate generation, I think, possibly, in the history of the world. But every house has a handful of Bibles in it, different translations, and many of them are just collecting dust. Let that not be said about us. Let us be part of the remnant who knows the Word of God and handles it accurately. Um, so then, of course, the second coming, we'll be talking about that today. And then after that is the millennial reign, 1,000 years. It says believers will reign with Christ for 1,000 years, and then comes the end. So there's a little preview of what we're going to do today. And we just mentioned this. I need to go back a slide now. Uh-oh. Now, how do I do this? <laughs> this is great. Yeah, okay. Um, how do I go back on this iPad? Steve, do you know? Oh, here, I got it. I got it. Never mind. I figured it out. There we go. So let's read this. 
All right, I'm an old school guy. Um, well, I still have a rotary phone. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so let's go back. This is what we were talking about. The rapture meaning caught up, mentioned specifically 1 Thessalonians 4, 6, actually from 13 through 18. But verse 13 says, do not be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant about what's going to happen. It's verse 13. So let's pick it up in verse 16 here for the sake of time. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. There's a reunion, a family reunion. The dead in Christ who have been dead, who have preceded us, believers, will rise first. Verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. That's the rapture. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. The next verse, encourage one another with these words. Yes. Be encouraged, because we're going to dive into some heavy stuff right now. Be encouraged that this good news at any time for believers in Christ. All right, that is our hope. As Titus says, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, during the rapture, the saints, living and dead, will be changed. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the resurrection body. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, it says, we will be changed physically. Raised from the grave for those who are dead, for those still alive, taken up to meet the Lord in the air. So Paul warns believers, and this is for us, it could happen at any time. If you believe Jesus is returning tomorrow, encouragement for you is live like he's coming back today. If you believe Jesus is coming back tomorrow, live as if he's coming back today. Everybody's got to get that. That's who we are. That's the only reason you're living, breathing, and God's keeping our hearts, your hearts beating right now. In him, our lives have meaning and purpose and destiny. Apart from him, it's meaninglessness. And that's what we see today. Moral relativism, meaninglessness, godlessness. We talked about last week, another sign that Jesus talked about. As lawlessness increases, the heart of most will grow cold. Not a few, not some. It said the hearts of most people it's, they don't want to deal with it. They'll go cold hearts. That means you're, you don't have compassion. You don't have love for one another because of the increase of lawlessness. Let that not be said of us, okay? Um, Jesus fulfilled many of the prophecies of the Messiah uh, during his birth, life, ministry, death, resurrection. At his second coming, he will return to fulfill remaining prophecies. In his first coming, he came as the suffering servant. In his second coming, he will return as a conquering king. The Old Testament prophets did not really make a clear distinction between the two. So, as a result of the prophecies, um, some Jewish scholars believe that the, the, the prophets were talking about two different individuals. All right, one, they thought a suffering Messiah, and that would be different from the conquering Messiah. We know from hindsight, from scripture, from history, 
Jesus fulfills and will fulfill both roles, the suffering servant from Isaiah 53 and the conquering king, which we will talk about in just a little bit. But before we get there, tribulation comes first. So let's go to Matthew 24. And in fact, we, I think for context, we need to go and just read a couple verses that we covered last week, that we ended last week with, starting in verse 11. Matthew 24, 11, many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness has increased. Most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved, Jesus said. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So right here, we're, we're starting with Matthew 24, 15 today. Therefore... When you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through the prophet Daniel, standing, it's, this is amazing that he says this, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as not, as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Then, if anyone asks you or says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand, therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, or uh, uh, do not go out, or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming, will, will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the vultures will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Wow. So let's talk about this parenthetical, uh, this, this couple words here that were in 2415. Let the reader understand. Some might suggest Matthew thought, you know what, this is so heavy, I've got to insert this. But I, I wouldn't go there personally because then you think, well, this, has got to be, this, this book is divinely inspired. This is God-breathed. So either God told Matthew to write it, it was not his idea. So what, what we probably want to go with is 
Jesus said it. Even though it's in parentheses, Jesus said it. So let's go with that. Regardless, it is God's word. All right? But why would he say, he is giving this sermon on the Mount of Olives after leaving Jerusalem, after leaving the temple for the last time. He's given this message. Why would he say, let the reader understand? There was nothing written down. This was not written down. Why would he say that? Because this is for us. This is for a people in the future that would have his word in writing, that would have the scrolls of the Gospel of Matthew and all the books, Revelation and everything else. We would have it written down so we can read it. Does that make sense? So let the reader understand reinforces the, reinforces the fact that Jesus was not only instructing the disciples or their generation, but believers in the end times who will read these scriptures and be able to understand not only the trials that they might be enduring, but will understand what may be to come or what is to come, I should say. So now, um, the abomination of desolation. I think there's a slide here. I got them out of order, but I got the right one up. The abomination of desolations translated the abomination which makes desolate or lays waste. In other words, the abomination brings or causes desolation. So essentially, the abomination of desolation speaks of the ultimate desecration of a Jewish temple, the establishment of an idolatrous image in the holy place itself, which inevitably will, be, will result in the judgment of God. Okay? In the vocabulary of Judaism at that time, an abomination was an especially offensive form of idolatry. Jesus described a gross form of idolatry standing in the holy place in the temple that brings with it great destruction or desolation. A literal Greek rendering of the phrase is the desolating sacrilege. And as we haven't, if we haven't described it enough, another word you might use is disgusting. So this will be in the temple, the most holy place, the abomination of desolation. As spoken of by the prophet Daniel, I think I have that too. There it is. The prophet Daniel said in Daniel 11.31, They shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Think about this. Right now there is no sacrificial system in Jerusalem, in that temple, so in order for the abomination of desolation to take place, there has to be a new temple, the sacrificial system. We know from reading headlines and keeping up with what's going on in Israel, keep your eye on Israel, guys, not on America. Watch Israel and pray America is an ally. Pray that we will continue to support Israel. They've already created or, or come up with all the utensils for the sacrificial system, for this high priest. They're already doing all of that, preparing this third temple. But let me show you something. This, I've got this, I found this headline last week. Breaking Israel News came out with this last week. I've got a slide here to show you. Um, this is what the headline said. Top rabbi in Israel, we must build the third temple. And look at that verse in Exodus. It says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Check this out. Right now, 
Who controls the most contested religious site in the world? Muslims. The Dome of the Rock. They manage that temple area, the Dome of the Rock, within the old city, old Jerusalem. But the city itself is controlled by Israel and has been since 1967. But Muslims will not let anyone who is not a follower of Islam in that temple. But apparently from some of the signs and what we know from scripture, that's where they're going to have to set up this third temple so that these prophecies can be fulfilled, the abomination of desolation in that third temple. Fascinating stuff. So just watch the headlines. It's just amazing the things that are going on right now. So we already read through uh, the rest of the chapter 24, and now we're just going to go to a couple others. Let's see, did I already do that one? Yes, the Prophet Daniel. Let me tell you what happened so you're not confused about anybody who knows this from history. This describes the abomination of desolation now. This describes a complete desecration of the temple, similar to what happened in 168 AD. I'm sorry, 168 BC. Antiochus Epiphanes, known as Antiochus IV, he was a Syrian king. He ruled Palestine and invaded Jerusalem at that time, and he gave himself the title Theos Epiphanes, which means manifest God. Oh, did I jump ahead too much? Where am I? Give kids toys to work with. You touch it and it goes to the next one. So this already happened. Antiochus Epiphanes. He slaughtered thousands of Jewish men, women, children. He sold some into slavery. Tried to completely obliterate the Jewish religion. So Hitler wasn't the first to have that idea. He desecrated the, the temple by sacrificing a pig on the altar because a pig, of course, is unholy, unclean to the Jews and set in the temple an idol of Zeus. This is what Antiochus Epiphanes did. But that was not the abomination of desolation that Jesus is talking about. See, that happened B.C., Okay? because someone will fight you on this. Christians will say, no, 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 that already happened. Then Jesus is confused then, apparently, because he's prophesying the abomination of desolation still to come, still to happen. So this is like a foreshadowing. What happened in 168 B.C. Is, foreshadows the abomination of desolation. Okay, so the, the desolation, just so you know, the defilement by Antiochus Epiphanes was a preview, really, of an even greater abomination committed by the Antichrist in the end time. So, the, the phrase standing in the holy place, what else could that mean but the temple? It means the abomination of desolation takes place inside the Jewish temple. Many believe, and this is where we tend to look at events coming up, that it will happen in the holy place of a rebuilt temple. We would call it the third temple. As this rabbi says, we must build the third temple. But for different reasons. Now, the Jews want to set up their sacrificial system again. Jesus, as we just celebrated in communion and met, remembered, he is the Lamb of God, the, the Lamb that was slain once for all. One sacrifice for all. So Jesus' sacrifice is it. It is enough. No more sacrifices need to be made. That's all throughout the New Testament. So when the Jews are talking about setting up their sacrificial system again, it's because their religion believes 
they're still waiting for a Messiah. They're going to sacrifice and try to reinstitute that. So this, it's just going to be fascinating, you guys, just to see what's going to happen. So <clears throat> revisit a little bit of history now because this is amazing to get to the point we are now and to look ahead to what's to come. For centuries, there was only a tiny Jewish presence in Judea and Jerusalem. Now their presence in the region was continuous but very small. So it was unthinkable that this weak Jewish presence could actually rebuild a temple. Okay, Therefore the fulfillment of this prophecy was highly unlikely until 1948 when Israel became a nation again, which was prophesied in Isaiah. It has never happened in the history of the world that any people or nation has been established and then dispersed, scattered, gave up their, their temple, their land, their language, their name, to be dispersed throughout the entire earth not only to return, but it took 2,000 years, more or less, for Jews to be gathered back to Israel. If you just think about that logically, think about that. Think about the United States being obliterated and everybody moving to different countries and something else, other people coming in. And then all of a sudden, Americans coming back and reestablishing the Constitution and whatever else. I know that's a bad example. <laughs> but... The fact that they did it after 2,000 years and came back to Israel and were established as a nation. And, and who was the first to recognize the state of Israel? The United States of America. Praise God, 1948. So that was just, that was miraculous, to, to that remarkable event, and sets us up for a future fulfillment of prophecy. So... Um, Antiochus set up an idol in the temple to be worshipped by the Jews, but in the future, the Antichrist will set himself up and demand worship from all mankind. That's to come. That's number one, what the Antichrist will do. Number two, he will end all sacrifices in the temple. Well, they're not going on now, okay? The Antichrist is going to end the Jewish sacrifices in the temple. The temple's not controlled by the Jews, and there's no sacrificial system, but this is what's going to happen. So there's some things that have to take place here. But remember, this is not a sign. These things don't have to happen in order for Jesus to return, in order for the rapture, I should say. Let me clarify. The rapture, any moment. That was a, there was a better one. All right. At any moment. Um... And so he'll demand worship from all mankind. He will end the sacrificial system and the place that makes the, the holy place, the temple. He will commit the abomination and desecrate the temple. It will be utterly detestable to the Jews at that time. So now I've got some other scriptures here from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You can mark it in your Bible, make a note there, or we've got them on the screen here. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4, that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. 
Paul goes on to state that the Lord will, now this is the good news, the good news part of it, the Lord will slay the lawless one by his returning, Jesus will, by the appearance of his coming and describes the coming seduction. If you go down to the next verse, 9 and 10 in 2 Thessalonians, that is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. Now this is not talking about Jesus, we're talking about the Antichrist. With all power and signs and false wonders, false wonders, there's technology that, that, there's, that exists today that you can appear to do signs. Look at magicians and what they can do today. They can deceive a lot of people. They're, they're, they, they can do stuff with holograms and digital images, uh, virtual reality that you would never thought of possible, but here it is in scripture before all this technology was invented and it's like they're describing this. This is how they're going to deceive people with false signs, false wonders. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, why? Why would they perish? Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. So Daniel gives us more insight into this. In Daniel 12, 11, he says, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days until the end. You're going, wow, that's, that's pretty darn specific. Well, most of prophecy is about the Messiah about Israel, about Jerusalem, about the temple. Jesus fulfilled hundreds of prophecies that no other man either fulfilled or even remotely came close to looking like it could have been anyone else. The Messiah fulfilled them. But they were so specific. So don't miss this. Uh, when this sign, the abomination of, of desolation, which set up, the end can be determined when the abomination of desolation is set up in the most holy place, in the temple, we'll know how much time is left till the end. Well, we won't. We'll be gone. Praise God. We'll be with him, and there will be tumult and tribulation on this earth that we've, we've read a little bit about today. So as Jesus said, let the reader understand, and that's for us. Let us who can read this understand. So the importance of this event cannot be overstated. I've got, is that the right one? Yes. So the sign of the abomination of desolation, it's the critical sign mentioned in Matthew 24. I know we're going kind of quick here. Um, it's the warning to flee. Jesus warned them, flee. We'll get to that in a minute. It's the sign of the end of all things, Daniel 9.27. It's the sign foreshadowed by Antiochus Epiphanes in Daniel 11.31 that we just explained and talked about. Historically, 168 B.C. already happened. It's the precise marker of days, the precise marker of days to the end, Daniel 12.11. Revelation of the man of sin, Antichrist, 2 Thessalonians 2.3 and 4. We just read that. And it is the image of the beast, Revelation 13. 14 and 15. So to clarify, I know this is, it can be complicated, but we're trying to very go, go through this step by step and very clearly from the scriptures, the destruction of the temple, 70 AD that, that Jesus predicted and prophesied was done. That was a judgment on Israel, not a sign of the end of the age. And that is a foreshadowing of what is to come as far as the desecration of the temple. That happened once 
foreshadowing again the abomination that happened in 168 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes, and the end time abomination of desolation is a separate event. So those are three major things that happened. 168 BC, the desecration of the temple, the destruction of all Jerusalem, 70 AD, and then the coming abomination of desolation. Next, Jesus warns the Jews. He warns the Israelites what should be done when, not if, but when the abomination appears. Flee immediately. Before we get to the next portion of Scripture, something really quick here. The rebuilt temple, it has to happen. Some people would argue against this, and there are different views on this. But again, they aren't issues of salvation. They're issues of the timing of the end time events. Daniel 9.27 equals Revelation 6.19. The rebuilt temple has to take place. And then what we saw in that timeline that we showed earlier, a division of the tribulation. It's going to be seven years long. The, the great tribulation, seven years long, a division of two, three and a half year periods. Okay? The Antichrist, destruction of the Antichrist, hallelujah, and then the second coming, and then eternity. Okay, next, um, Matthew 24, 16 through 20. So, when Jesus said, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Remember, context, context, context. This doesn't say those who are in Africa. It doesn't say those who are in Russia. It doesn't say those who are in America. It says those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop. What? What are they doing? Everyone, everyone's repairing their roofs? What, what, what are they doing? No, there are flat roofs. Their houses had flat roofs over there. So they go up. They have lawn chairs or whatever else. They're sitting out after, after dinner. They just kind of relax. They watch the stars come out at night. They're sitting on flat roofs. So that's why this expression would not apply necessarily to America, would it? So let those, let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. Why? Well, if you're going to flee and quickly from some desolation, if you're pregnant or bringing along small children, it will it will be a, a, an encumbrance a little bit. It'll be more difficult for you in those urgent times. And pray that your flight might not be in the winter. Why? It's cold. <laughs> more, more clothes to carry, more blankets. It's just more rough terrain in the winter, and, and the conditions are uh, difficult. And then what about the Sabbath? Um, do I have something else on that? Uh, there was a scripture there. No, I didn't get to that yet. Um, well, the Sabbath is, is a holy place, a holy time, I should say, devoted to the Lord, time of peace, of no work, and you're supposed to be in this mind of, of worshipful, a worshipful time. So the, he said, pray that it won't take place on the Sabbath. It's going to disrupt everything that you believe if you're a Jew at that time. Remember the context. He's talking, about the, talking to the Jews. Wow, I don't want the Sabbath disrupted. I can't imagine it happening on the Sabbath. Jesus said, pray, pray it won't happen on the Sabbath. Um, according to ancient sources, here's a little bit more history now, uh, Roman Emperor Vespasian was approaching Jerusalem with his army, with his army, and this is true. Eyewitness accounts and others, uh, ancient sources, say when 
these signs started happening, those who believed, that, remember the destruction of the first temple, the destruction of Jerusalem when that happened? Those who believed in Christ left Jerusalem and fled beyond the River Jordan. So Christians got out of Dodge. Christians left because they thought, well, Jesus told us about these signs. So they left, they escaped because they were forewarned by this prophecy by Jesus even though the prophecy specifically applied to the end times and the abomination of desolation. Does that make sense? They were warned by, boy, these, these, these signs sound like what Jesus was describing when he was preaching on the Mount of Olives. They recognized the sign of the coming distress and they fled. So Christians got out of Jerusalem. Sadly, that was not the case with the Jewish people. They didn't flee as Jesus warned. Instead, instead of fleeing to the mountains, people even from outside the outskirts of the city ran into the city thinking they'd be safe inside the walls. And you know what happened in 70 AD? They crammed themselves into the city within the walls and because more people, Jews, came into the city, Christians were leaving, Jews were coming in because of the signs of distress. It made the, the famine, the upcoming famine worse. It made the casualties worse at that time. So we believe from this warning and from earlier passages that, that God thankfully will remove his true church today before the fury of the great tribulation. But this will hopefully give us a sense of understanding and urgency. Now we'll go to the next scripture. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 6, the day of the Lord... This can be referred to now, Paul writes, as to the times and dates, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well, how do they know that? From Jesus' teachings and Jesus' sermons and what was also written down. But this was a letter specifically to the Thessalonian Christians. You know full well that the day of the Lord will come. How? Oh. Like a thief in the night. Well, they, everyone else, people running around saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly. How? Like labor pains upon a pregnant woman with child. On a woman with child. And by the way, I like that. I said pregnant naturally. But when you hear woman with child, there's another pro-life verse for you. Annie, Alex, all you pro-lifers out there, this whole church, I hope, you look in the Bible, and when a woman is about to give birth or the, a woman gets pregnant, how do they describe it? With child. Not with tissue. Not with something, hopefully, that will eventually turn out to be a human being. Not with a blob or a mass. The Bible says a pregnant woman is with child. And they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do. That's a warning for us. Be alert and sober. Let us not sleep. Sleep doesn't mean death in this context. It means apathy. It means spiritual apathy or disinterest or indifference or allowing your heart to be hardened or your love to grow cold. Let us not sleep as others do. So what we're studying today is valuable for believers and it will be valuable for those who will become Christians during the Great Tribulation. 
because there will still be a chance to save some. Whew. Heavy. After believers, the church is gone. Matthew 24, 19 and 20, when it talks about um, pray that you're, it won't take place if you're pregnant or winter or Sabbath. Winter days are shorter, colder. It's difficult for travel. The, sa the Sabbath, as I mentioned, was to be a solemn, quiet, undisturbed time of worship to God. So basically, how to really remember that verse, think of it in this way. To flee in winter, to the Jews, to flee in winter was uncomfortable for the body. To flee on the Sabbath was uncomfortable to the soul. That was the context for the Jews to understand at that time. Pray that it would not take place. Now, verses 21 through 28, great tribulation coming. Jesus said, I think I have something else here. There it is. The most awful time in history. Jesus said, you think it's bad now? Whew. You think it's getting dark now? The most awful time is still to come. You, when we think of uh, the natural disasters that have happened in our world, the terrible wars, plagues, famines, um, genocides that history has seen, socialism and communism wiping out millions, uh, Lenin, in Russia, Stalin, Mao in China, millions of people murdered, destroyed. When we think of all these things that have happened in history, what did Jesus say? For then will be great tribulation such as not, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. That's the worst that will take place in all of history. So when God pours out his wrath on a God-rejecting world, on a world that rejected the Messiah, look out because it will truly be great in terms of awfulness and magnitude and horror. Something so awful, it's never occurred in the past nor ever will again. So we understand this point. Jesus' description, let's see, did I have that? Yes, I do. His description is like the bowl judgments in Revelation 16 and 19. When God pours out his wrath, all the bowl judgments, if you want to look that up later. Um, time of affliction cut short for the sake of the elect. Because it says the elect, if possible, would, even if they would be deceived. So what's that? What, I've read a lot of commentaries, and my understanding of that is the, it is impossible for the truly elect to be deceived, those who are truly elect. It's impossible for those to be deceived. That's what I understand that to be. Um, warnings of deception, false prophets again, and then the return of the Son of Man, universally visible, lightning. We had a storm here, little, little bits of a tornado touching down in different places, but we know what the lightning and the thunder, we see that approach and we see it flash in the sky. So you all know, you've seen it, how Quickly, lightning flashes. That's going to be like the return of the Son of Man. Jesus warned it's going to be like lightning flashing from the east to the west. It happens so quickly. And what does 1 Corinthians 15 say? In a flash, in the blink of an eye, at the last trumpet, the dead will be raised. 1 Corinthians 15. That's how it's going to happen. The coming of the Son of Man, 
There's a word that's used there, parousia. It's used only in this chapter in the Gospels, four times in Matthew. Parousia literally means presence. As in Jesus, the Messiah, the conquering king in this context. Parousia, his presence. It was also used, understood to be for divine visitations. Um, and then there's this other sign that's kind of odd. Some translations in verse 28 say eagles. Wherever the corpse is, there the eagles will gather. Well, we think of eagles as bold and proud and majestic and it's one of the symbols in America. How could this be an awful sign? I mean, most translations say vultures. But the point of this is to recognize this is one of the signs because it's as if if you're in a flat land and you, you can probably see for quite some distance, if there's a dead carcass, a dead horse or donkey or whatever, You'll see carrion birds, eagles, vultures. You'll see the flocking, circling, circling the sky. And it almost might look like a funnel cloud, you know, a tornado, but it's carrion birds, vultures, that will come down and they feed off the flesh of, of carcasses. So you can see that from a distance. So that's what this is to explain how it's worded. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, now we get into some heavy stuff here. Immediately following the tribulation, the sign will appear. What's the sign? The return of the king. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. That's horrific enough. If you're on earth at that time, no, obviously there were no, no, more, no more power grid, right? That'll be wiped out. No sun. If it's daytime, no sun. If it's nighttime, no moon. You, we haven't known that kind of pitch blackness and darkness, right? Um, several prophetic passages describe the cosmic disturbances that will precede and surround this return of Christ. According to Revelation 6, this will be during the time of the beast, the reign of the beast. Um, I think I have another scripture here. Verse... Oh, I got it here. Um, Matthew 24, 29, when it says, moon will not give its light, stars will fall from the sky. Imagine that. You know what stars are, right? They're not these twinkle, twinkle little gold things that can just, you know, float down to the earth. They're like massive. They're, they're going to destroy the earth if they're going to fall from the sky. So this isn't going to be a pleasant picture. Um, but this, it ends, verse 29, it says, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. I've got a great scripture for you. Hebrews 12, 25 through 27 says this. Check this out. The powers of the heaven, of heaven will be shaken. See to it, now it's talking about the Jews. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they, who's they? The Jews. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, they refused the Messiah, right? Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now has promised saying, now this is future, yet once more I shall shake not only the earth, but also heaven, now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as things that are made. 
This world, you think, if any of you have ever lived in a, in a place where there are earthquakes, I lived in Southern California for many years. We've heard, felt some shakings and had some results there and had some you know, damage in different places in different cities, and we're depending on where the fault line is. That is nothing, you know, <laughs> compared to this kind of shaking of the earth, not just a part of the West Coast or wherever that might be in the world. There's already been some damage from earthquakes, but this is going to be intense. Verse 27, Hebrews 25, 27, once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of those things that are made. So now, verse 30 the sign of the Son of Man. What is the sign? It, it's simply the sign of the Son of Man when Jesus returns. That is this actual sign that they're talking about here. It seems to precede his return, the abomination of desolation first, Revelation 19.11. And perhaps this sign is somehow related to those cosmic disturbances, the sun darkened, the moon not giving off his light, stars falling from the sky, that will precede the great event. And when the sign of the Son of Man appearing takes place, all the tribes of the earth will mourn over their own rebellion, their own rejection of the Messiah. And all people groups will mourn over their rejection of him. They will realize their folly that he is the king, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the, the, the anointed one, the one whom they've waited for centuries but did not recognize. They will mourn. And I've got another scripture I want to share with you here from Zechariah. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Remember the Roman spear going into the side of Christ when he was on the cross to make sure he was dead. Blood and water flowed from his side. They will mourn over him whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day, there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem. Now, I had a sister that was 24 years old and was killed in a, a traffic accident. My parents, my mom still can get emotional about that, talking about it or remembering that to this day. And I don't know if any of you have lost a son or a daughter, but that's the kind of mourning that's described here. They will mourn for, for or the rejected Messiah as they mourn over a firstborn that they've lost forever. One note of caution here, and I know I'm probably preaching to the choir in this room, in this church, but America should take heed and learn from this and learn from Israel. Um, got a quote I want to share with you from Matthew Henry. He said, The nearer any people are to God in profession and privileges, the greater and heavier the judgments will be against them. One more time, the nearer any people are to God in profession and privileges, the greater and heavier the judgments will be against them. 
And verse 30, when it says that they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, this ultimately is the fulfillment of the end, indicated by the sign of the abomination of desolation and then the sign of the appearing of the Son of Man. He will send forth his angels, verse 31. He will send forth his angels. What translation do I have here? I have two different translations. With a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Because sky goes on forever, right? It, in our atmosphere, it doesn't end. But this gives you the idea that you are, no one who is a true believer, because he's talking about gathering the elect, those who believe in Christ, no one who is a true believer will be out of the reach of that gathering. And he's going to use his angels to do it. Angels are going to be those ministering spirits that are serving him at that time, gathering the elect. Um, from great sound of a trumpet, one end of the sky to another. Clearly, again, not the same event as the rapture of the saints. But one thing we know from this description, as well as so many other passages, that the Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are his, and he will gather us, them, at that time. Believers. The context, remember again, Matthew 24, a Jewish context. The temple, the holy place, that's nothing we have in America. There's nothing like that in Canada or Mexico or China or anywhere else. That's the temple, the holy place. And throughout scripture, God calls his people a chosen people, a chosen nation, the Jews. So many will come to Christ and trust in him and, and receive him as Messiah. Others, there will be some that will continue to reject him, but God has his heart for his people. And the believing remnant of Israel will be saved. Isaiah 27, don't turn there, I don't have that on the screen, but I want to read it to you real quick. Isaiah 27, 12 and 13, it says, O ye children of Israel, and it shall come to pass in that day, the great trumpet will be blown. They will come, which were ready to perish, in the land of Assyria, it says, they will come and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. This includes his scattered people, right, um, of Israel all throughout the world, as well as the faith, faithful remnant of Jews who will still, who have not yet become believers, but during the seven-year tribulation period, there will still be some that will be saved. This is the culmination of world history, friends. This is the end we're talking about here. When the, the disciple says, when will these things happen? What will be the sign? They were thinking one sign, it was going to happen soon. Jesus just unloaded, unleashed signs that would last over years and years and years, but he definitely got descriptive and specific here. And it will usher in the millennial reign right there as we're seeing there, of Christ the King. The throne of David will once again be in Jerusalem as the Lord reigns on earth for a thousand years. That's that portion of history there. So now let's go to, I have them on here. If you want to turn to Revelation 20 and just mark these for later. We're going to wrap it up, but I'm, I'm trying to condense this for you to give you an overall viewpoint because it's hard to just talk about this and then... <laughs> 
we're going to end it when it just says he's gathering his elect. The angels are gathering from one end of the sky to the other. It's hard to end right there without giving you the final picture here. Um, Revelation 20, verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. Those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, if you jump down to verses 11 through 13. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. So finally, Revelation 21 describes the vision of heaven and a new heaven. Remember now, 2 Peter 3, mark that down if you want to look at that. That's pretty astounding. Every, the, the earth, the, the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. That's, I just summed up 2 Peter 3 for you. 2 Peter 3, um, a new heaven and a new earth will be established and created. Just amazing. Along with a new Jerusalem, the Bible says, will come down out of heaven. And sitting on his throne, Jesus then says, Revelation 21, 5 and 6, Behold, I am making all things new. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Revelation 21, 5 and 6. So the book of Revelation, this is interesting now, the very beginning of the book, and there's one verse at the very end. I think the first chapter and the last chapter, there's a little, little clue for you who may have been intimidated by reading because there's a lot of symbolism and imagery, but there's a lot of prophecy Imagine the Jews, if you're Jewish, imagine at any point in time in history going from their last book, you know, in other words, they don't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they, and Malachi. They go from their old, the Old Testament from Malachi, they jump from reading that, all the prophets, and then imagine them jumping to Revelation. You know, just eye-opening stuff. But there's a blessing for everyone who reads the book of Revelation. Did you know that? There's a blessing. No more excuses. Oh, I can't understand it. Who does understand everything in there? If, if someone says they understand everything in Revelation, I think they're lying. <laughs> or that's a lot of pride. Um, so we just try to discern and make, the, make, um, make it as clear as we can here from what we know, from study, from scripture, from references, from context, from history, from commentaries. And then the rest, there's some, some still a little bit of mystery. But... There's a promise, a blessing to those who read Revelation, those who hear it, and those who heed the words written in it. So there's blessings for you and for those who read Revelation. Finally, the Bible closes, chapter 22 of Revelation. John describes the river of life, the tree of life. One final warning in Revelation 22 that these prophecies are faithful and true. That's what it says. And the fact that Jesus is returning soon. And what, how does John end? 
And we've felt that way, seeing the darkness sometimes and the way the world's going. And um, we're sorry, Lord, but some, sometimes the way the church is going and conforming to the world. John said, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Come. Come. We, we know what that feels like, don't we? But we are here for such a time as this. And the question is, after all that we've read, and we're, we're concluding, and I think that was it, are we truly ready? Is your heart pre prepared for some hard times? Not the great tribulation, but for the hard times that are still to come before the end. We're seeing some now. We're seeing blatant discrimination against Christians, persecution in other countries around the world, and it's coming to America. It's here. There's a double standard already set up, and we will be persecuted. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. We, have, we know the end of the book. Truth wins. God wins. And because of Christ, and his finished work on the cross and our faith in him, we are victorious only because of him. Right? So are we also living as the word of God is true? Because it is. There's so much in this book. So thank you for just uh, your patience in getting into this uh, part two of Matthew 24. Pastor Landon will finish it up next week. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, you've given us a lot to think about, and every time we read your word, there's something else. And we thank you, God, that you've not left us guessing. Um, we praise you, Lord, that there's so much value in reading, in hearing. We know faith comes by hearing the word of God, and we pray that you would just continue to increase our faith, God, for the times that are coming. Prepare us, Lord. Prepare us for the work that you have us do. And I know part of that work is, is sharing the truth of Jesus, sharing the gospel. I ask, God, that you would open up doors of opportunity for us in our families, our friends, people that don't know us that we will meet that you've already appointed those conversations. You've set up divine appointments for us. Help us be ready. Help us live by your Holy Spirit and be led by your Spirit and help us uh, live according to your word, God, not just to be um, doer, not just be um, hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Um, and give us wisdom on how to do that one day at a time. That's all we can do anyway. We praise you, Lord. We thank you that your word is truth. We thank you so much for giving us strength and for allowing us to at least understand some of what is going to come in the future. But most of all, thank you for saving us. Thank you that you chose us in Christ and you also chose us to go and bear fruit. May we do that. Every person here, we're all coming from a different place, different maturity levels in Christ, different family backgrounds, different occupations, different to everything. But Lord, you have a specific plan for each one of us. And I thank you that you promise that you will complete the work that you began in each one of us as believers. We love you. And we just want to honor you with our lives. And we praise you for this time and for your word. All God's people said, Amen. Praise God. Amen. <laughs>